welcome to another episode of the watchdog here on the press with me low key we of course are going against the grain covering stories which are regularly marginalized ignored and ghettoized outside the eyesight and the earshot of the masses by mainstream media for that reason we really appreciate any support you can give so please do like share and subscribe and comment on this video but also follow us on telegram where we can be sure to reach you at all times away from the algorithmic suppression of the big social media companies which actually a lot of our work is exposing now on a daily basis so we're joined today by some may perceive him to be a controversial guest somebody who has really written at length about much of the structures of power within our society he has brought some pretty um extraordinary scoops recently to the public sphere I'm talking about Kit Clarenberg of the Grey Zone and many other places. Kit, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. That, that was a harsh intro, um, I think, in many ways. But no, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. No, it's, it's good to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, man. So My the pleasure. first question I wanted to ask you, you know, we are now, we've seen a massive mobilization of forces to sweep aside Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, um, the Conservative Prime Minister, somebody who many of us were active against in trying to bring in Jeremy Corbyn in that period of time. And we saw the complete unity of the ruling class in fighting Corbyn and putting all of their energy into thrusting Boris Johnson, but in quite a short period of time, we saw an intense turnaround in the feeling towards him as if there was this sort of collective realization that he was somehow um, a liar, that he was somebody who was beyond reproach, that he was somebody who morally was beneath public life. When this is somebody that is believed to have hidden his fatherhood of children, to have denied children when it comes to his private life. This is somebody who was alleged, um, groped the, uh, the journalist and wife of major um, journalist on TV on a daily basis. You know, of course, talking about the situation where he was accused by you know, the wife of Robert Peston of groping her and um, you know we know of the um there's a multitude of cases where his personal discretions have been digressions have been revealed and exposed in in major ways but it sort of seemed that there was this very artificial artificial to me awakening about his personality and then the focusing on that to use um, these means to sweep him out of power. But I think it would be great if we can have a bit of a context on 
where all this has come from and what the sort of historical precedents for this type of operation could be. So if we take it back to the 20s and we look at the development of this kind of stuff, we have an example of quite a clear push to interfere in the quote-unquote democratic process in this country taking place with Ramsey McDonald. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please, Kit? Yeah, sure. I mean, in yeah, 1923 was the, I mean, people often think that the very first Labour government was Clement Attlee's, um, you know, 1945 post-war. I mean, that was the first majority Labour government. The the, the actual first Labour government was Ramsay McDonald's in 1923. It was a minority government. Um, it very quickly, despite, yes, like not possessing uh, the, the requisite foot soldiers in Parliament, which would normally allow you to do this, um, attempted to undertake really quite seismic sweeping reforms um, to you know the kind of socio-economic and political fabric of the United Kingdom, um, heading in you know the, uh, McDonald called an election the next year in 1924. I mean, and I think that the actually in many ways the context then is very similar to now. So this was you know following the Soviet um, revolution. This was a time when there it, it, and yes the kind of post World War One Red Scare in in both Britain and America. This was a time when there you know accusations that people were in bed with the Russians, uh, you know, abounded. Um, you know, dissent was brutally cracked down upon. It was framed as, uh, well, you know, you're secretly a communist and, you know, blah, blah. Uh, and so in you know leading up to this election there was the release of what was called the Zinoviev uh, letter uh, which at the time was taken seriously and it was allegedly a a, um, a kind of a communication from a senior Soviet official which was talking which were you know, to the Labour Party which was talking about how um, well you know we, we you know when when you know when you get in this is going to be fantastic because the British working class will radicalize they'll re you know the revolutionize and then you will experience in Britain what we experienced in um, you know, what was formerly the Russian Empire. Um, and I mean, it, it, yes, as I say, it was taken seriously at the time. It very much appears now that it was uh, the construct of British intelligence. It, it, it had a significant impact on the vote and led to a you know landslide conservative victory. I mean, there are shades in this as well of, I mean, in 2019, you know, Jeremy Corbyn uh, publicized some documents which were, I mean, it was the, uh, the, the US-UK provisional trade deal, which showed that in, you know, following Brexit, that the, the NHS was going to be carved up into pieces and sold to the highest American bidder, which was, that this was framed as, uh, you know, an, a, a, an attempt at Russian meddling, you know, um, and then very quickly the the onus of the story shifted from, well, this is an absolutely horrific, um, you know, death sentence for socialized medicine in the UK to, oh, well, actually, you know, the, the real focus here is that this is, you know, the Russians behind this, so the substance of the documents doesn't really matter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that just goes to show that, yes, that there is a lot, you know, you know an extensive and, you know, egregious history of the intelligence services meddling in um, general elections. And it raises very obvious questions about, yes, the degree to which the UK is actually a democracy and who is actually in power and in whose interest power is actually exerted. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jonathan Pyle, actually, in his book, Churchill's Secret Enemy, um, delved into the details of a gentleman by the name Sir George Joseph Ball, 
um, his career as an MI5 officer. And it is the assertion of Jonathan Pyle, you know, based on his research where he had very wide access to a lot of um, uh, Sir George Joseph Ball's papers and um, archives. And Pyle makes this assertion that actually it was Ball at the time that he was an MI5 officer and others who were responsible for this fake letter. So we see this kind of astroturfing happening. Now, another case that would be interesting to look at is Operation Clockwork Orange and the campaign against Labour Prime Minister Harold Wilson. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, and it's uh, yeah. It, it, again, there, there are very clear parallels here. It's uh, you know they um they never change the script, do they? But so essentially, in the nineteen seventies. Um, after Labour won, you know, a very narrow victory in February 1974, and then went on to win, a, you know, kind of, a, yes, a, a, a just as narrow victory in, in in October that year. That the um, this was also concurrent with the um, with the running of the intelligence war in Northern Ireland being handed to MI5, and prior to that, from the late 60s. You know, onwards, there was you know a tussle over who had responsibility for um, that particular operation, and it created a very bizarre situation whereby you know kind of special branch MI6 and MI5, uh, because of the you know the kind of uh, unique and uh, and unparalleled position that Northern Ireland um, occupied within the UK constitutional structure, were all arguing over who had ultimate responsibility for trying to take down Irish republicanism, and so um, it. MI5 gets complete control in yes, uh, like right, right around the time that a, a effectively minority Labour government is uh, is elected in the late in late late nineteen seventy four. It was I think they had a majority of three, which is you know um, <laughs> not particularly effective. And so the Clockwork Orange was an attempt by MI5 operating out with the kind of or from the grey zone, um, one might say, um, not a reference to my employer, but the uh, but yeah the um, the grey zone of Northern Ireland, an attempt to smear British politicians of every stripe, whether they were, you know, Labour, Conservative, Liberal, but with a particular focus on Harold Wilson. And it's very clear from Peter Wright's uh, uh, disclosures in Spycatcher, that, you know, book that the Thatcher government tried to ban, and then, you know, that it turned it into an international bestseller, even if it is very boring. Um, you know, that they, they genuinely believed that, that Harold Wilson was a KGB operative or asset um and you know they they were engaged in a, a, a large number of plots to try and take him down i mean you know in the spirit of two degrees of separation airy neve who was a world war ii veteran um the great escape is largely based on his his uh escape from colditz um a longtime british intelligence um operative he was within um he was the northern ireland secretary in thatcher's um uh you know shadow cabinet uh was killed by the uh by Inla in um, in the late 70s but the um allegedly but the but yeah the, I mean he spoke openly about how well you know if there is any prospect of Tony Benn um becoming prime minister then you know, there is a need to assassinate him so yeah it was a very 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 strange time um with you know intelligence agencies battling battling it out with one another and yes like of quite fairly openly trying to undermine democratic governments I think that um in the spirit of a Thomas Pinch novel 
level almost. Um, you know, Howard Wilson was incredibly paranoid. There were events like a uh, British Army drills at, um, uh, at Heathrow Airport. There were several um, over the course of the 70s. And he took this as a kind of run through for a military coup. There were several, uh, you know, purported private military companies run by people like David Sterling, who was the, the forefather of the SAS, um, who were openly talking in the media, where, you know, what the extent to which that was substantive and serious is uh, is another question. But openly talking about seizing power in the event that a you know a Labour government lost control due to the enormous industrial strife of you know of the era. So I mean, again, this is an example of um, intelligence services, you know, very clearly demonstrating that they think that they're in charge of everything, and you know, attempting to contort and manipulate politics in their own interests. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the interesting thing about Harold Wilson is it's largely believed that the MI5 had a file on him um, using the sort of fake name of Henry Worthington um, mm. from the 40s. And, you know, as you mentioned that Peter Wright uh, memoir, Spy Capture, he actually mentions that James Angleton, the uh, CIA's counterintelligence division, had told him not only that Wilson was a Soviet agent, but that actually the KGB had murdered Hugh Gateskill. Yes, yes, poisoned him. Um, in power. And at one point, um, Wilson actually spoke to Barry Penrose and Roger Courtship from the BBC, mm. and he told them quite plainly that the intelligence services were acting against him. But it wasn't just... Wilson that said this, you also had um, MI5 agent James Miller and um, a former military intelligence employee in Northern Ireland, Colin Wallace. Mm. Um, brilliant uh, documentary um, about Colin Wallace and his trials and tribulations. Um, the Man Who Knew Too Much is available on YouTube. And, and it was Colin Wallace that actually was the first to draw attention to this Operation Clockwork Orange, um, the notes that he'd made while he was briefed on this. And the interesting um, aspect of it, especially when thinking about the last six months in British politics, is the sort of drip feed attritional warfare process, this idea of leaking stories gradually to affect Mm. Um, the the public mood around you know this kind of stuff. I mean, and also the really um, ironic thing about Harold Wilson's time is that it was in '68, while he was actually prime minister, that you had the spy cops, the special demonstration squad, established as a unit following the Vietnam solidarity campaigns. Uh, protests outside the US embassy, which ended up smashing some windows, and then subsequently the infiltration of a thousand different political groups from the Fire Brigades Union to the National Union of Teachers to an organization called Eat Out Vegan Wales to anti fur campaigns to Hausman's Bookshop to the Rebel Clown Army to Veggies Catering Nottingham to an organization that rescued hedgehogs. Um, in in Scotland, this is what happened under Harold Wilson's uh, watch, essentially. So what it, all of this kind of 
articulates quite clearly is almost how inconsequential the uh, the political players are when it comes to the actions of the state vis-a-vis surveillance and whatnot. And so the next question I kind of wanted to go on to was you've published really brilliant and important work recently on this push to actually bring Boris in and get Theresa May taken out around Brexit. Could you tell us about that, please, Kip? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, I mean, the story kind of starts in um, in mid-2018, which is, I mean, it feels you know, many lifetimes ago now. But that, yeah, this was a period when both um, Labour and the Conservatives were signed up to uh, leaving the European Union. There was no question about that publicly, um, really. Um, and, uh, you know, T- Theresa May had the previous year gone for a general election expecting to be returned on, you know, this in excess of Thatcher's kind of 83, you know, 1983 majority. Um, it was going to be a landslide. And then she would, you know, she would take out the saboteurs and get the UK out of the EU. And in the event, Jeremy Corbyn came within two and a half thousand votes of being prime minister but we can't talk about that um so but like yeah that essentially that this was the kind of ground zero for i think another and a number of uh intelligence operations both pro and um uh both pro leave and, and pro remain and essentially you know at this you know in 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 june 2018 Theresa may releases her checkers deal which was effectively you know, uh, EU membership in everything but name only. Like it was, uh, it was on. I think the thing was on the on the principle of uh, limited managed withdrawal. And uh, there are a number of uh, you know prominent Brexiteers who were very opposed to this. After it was announced, Boris Johnson, you know, as Foreign Secretary, he quit. Um, David Davis, who was the Brexit Secretary, quit. And then little did we know, but in the background, and this is what the the leaked emails I I reported on for the Grey Zone have exposed. There were these you know these hardline. I mean that doesn't really do it justice. Uh, Bre- you know hard you know hard Brexit who wanted out you know by any means necessary on zero terms in order to start um extricating the uk in every conceivable way from anything resembling um european legislation european regulations etc i mean the, the, the this i call them the cabal and i think it's rather rather uh, opposite it's a group of you know elite military and intelligence figures um you know including richard dearlove who was the head of mi6 during the iraq war and was personally responsible for the dissemination of all manner of false intelligence related to Iraq's non-existent weapons of mass destruction capability. Gwydion Prince, who's a key advi- uh, you know, long-time NATO advisor, um, long-time chief of defence staff advisor, um, and so and uh, a variety of you know, wealthy, largely unknown backers. Probably the most famous is Jeremy Blackwell, who is the you know, the head of the Blackwell Publishing Empire, and they set out to yes, by any means necessary, remove move Theresa May from office, traduce, ostracize, publicly shame um, uh, pro-Remain groups. This is also when uh, people's vote um, starts getting quite a lot of traction. Uh, you know, best for Britain, you know, the, the, the push for a second referendum, which seems, and I have 
um, articles coming on this seems to have been very much an intelligence operation to get rid of Jeremy Corbyn or at least stop his uh, Downing Street aspirations dead, aspirations dead in their tracks. And so, yeah, they, I mean, they proposed all manner of um, you know, elaborate schemes and plots to, yes, to uh, you know, publicly disgrace um, high-profile Remainers, you know, infiltrating the the civil service, uh, you know, in order to block their you know, Remainia quote unquote deal, um, uh, you know, setting up fake campaign groups in order to infiltrate um, people's vote, etc., um, and you know, gather dirt on them. Yeah, they were relentless, and I mean, you know, they had spies within the civil the civil service who were handing them um sensitive classified information um uh, and yeah i mean it was this uh, multi-pronged assault in order to yes um get rid of theresa may and then you know kind of towards the end of 2019 they, they these people discussing what they thought was fully encrypted never to be read by anyone else emails uh how you know boris johnson had started a leadership campaign they were coordinating with him directly uh, uh uh, uh, Richard Dearlove was giving um, Boris advice on on Huawei, the Chinese tech giant, which seems to have been followed. Um, yeah, that they were really, really, really pushing him in a variety of different directions and sending private briefings to Michael Gove and Steve Baker. Interestingly, Steve Baker was one of the loudest, most prominent voices calling for Johnson to resign, um, as was David Davis, who the cabal was in direct contact with. And so you know they they th they thought very highly of their interventions and um you know subsequent to boris becoming prime minister they were talking about their success in doing this and uh the yes, they uh, it, it, yeah i mean it's, it's it's kind of difficult to quantify but it just seems to me that there is a you know britain particularly in the kind of post empire period there's an enormous amount of um, military and intelligence veterans who sit around with not very much to do and i mean you know what might you get up to in that context um you know try and you know, distort and contour and manipulate politics you you know, to, for your own ends, um, mightn't you? And so, yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I published several articles on this. I mean, I think that the, you know, this is an this is an ongoing, if not never-ending, story. In late 2020, they seem to have given up on Boris like pretty comprehensively because he didn't quite deliver the Singapore on Thames Brexit deal that they were, you know, hoping and hoping for and expecting. Um, and you know, of, but due to his you know, fairly sizable public public spending, they assumed that he was a uh, you know a social a Blairite social democrat globalist, which is obviously ludicrous. But they, so yeah, they 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 uh, from about that point onwards, they start talking about the need to get rid of him and replace him either with someone like Liz Truss or Priti Patel. They seem to be, they've had direct contact with Priti Patel. That um, Gwydion Prince, who I mentioned, had a secret meeting with her where he outlined his plans to um, carry out a vicious counterintelligence operation targeting environmental activists, which involved digging up dirt on their sexual proclivities and relationships. And, um, you know, I mean, a normal person, when presented with this, might think, well, these people are insane and need to get away from them as fast as possible. Um, actually, uh, Patel said, expressed an interest in staying in touch and asked for a personal pro proton mail to be set up for her, for her so they could speak secretly. Um, Prinz, who is certifiably insane, referred to Patel as a uh, ref refreshing change from the current soggy mass of politicians. Um, yes, you know, Pretty Patel, who's advocated starving the Irish, um, wanted to send aid to um, 
medical uh, camps in the Golan Heights, where Israel provides um, treatment to wounded ISIS fighters. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you can see why they're kind of on the same page. Um, I mean, Patel is, you know, quite interestingly, in, in an email from February this year, uh, Richard Dearlove refers to how uh, she's secretly engaged in a leadership campaign. Now, of course, Pretty is regarded as a you know hardcore Johnson loyalist. There's been no indication publicly that she is has any aspirations to become leader. Um, I mean, it, it, I'm not even sure whether she is running now. She seems to have announced her candidacy and said she would be the only you know truly authentic Brexit candidate. And then now she's pulled out. Um, yeah, I mean, whether that's you know cold feet because of our reporting, which is you know very flattering. Idea, but they, uh, but that, but you know, or alternatively, um, you know, maybe she realizes that she's inherited, she would be inheriting such a poison chalice. Uh, you know, I mean, if if if, if she, the 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 election, the leadership election is due to terminate in kind of early September, and there are suggestions that a general election should be called thereafter. You are dealing with a spiraling cost of living crisis. You know, historically high inflation, um, yeah, which will be well into the double digits by that point. Uh, you know, cr ongoing crisis in Ukraine, um, and uh, yeah, just a, a, a welter of, and, and also yes, the, the need to renegotiate Boris's uh, uh, you know oven-ready Brexit deal, which is actually completely unworkable. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't choose to you you wouldn't sign up to resolve any of that because I don't think it can be resolved. Um, you know, this is a looming catastrophe which you are going to be intimately associated with uh, if and when it kicks off. Absolutely. Um, you've also had this move against Boris. There's been a great piece written by um, Mr. Norton Taylor in the Classified uh, UK just today that has come out. And it points to the role of what he describes as the permanent government in sweeping aside Boris Johnson. Mm. An interesting aspect which is not mentioned in the piece but that i remembered from the very early days of these machinations against boris johnson the purported leader of the pork pie uh, conspiracy or pork pie coup as it was being touted by mainstream media was alicia kearns who is the mp for rutland and melton she mm. won in the uh, 2019 she uh, got her position there you know this is somebody who formerly was not only you know an employee of nato um, hosting their the the tv production of the nato summit she was also a senior press officer at the ministry of defense she was also the director of a PR company called Global Influence. Now, according mm. to Global Influence, their clients um, have been the US State Department, the British Foreign Office, and NATO. Now, Alicia Kearns, right before the operations in Ukraine began, actually took her family to Ukraine on a fact-finding mission, as the average MP for Rutland and Melton might do hmm. and the average mother as well um <laughs> this is something you would do yes um. absolutely bizarre bizarre but you know at the same time you had figures also like tobias elwood who was extremely animated in his 
opposition to Boris Johnson. This is somebody who simultaneous to being the head of the Select Committee on Defence um, also is uh, an MP, but also is a reservist, um, a lieutenant actually reservist in the 77th Brigade, which is the British Army's psychological warfare unit. You know, of course, you also have Rory Stewart, another figure who has been reported by security, by the Daily Telegraph as high-ranking uh, security figures supposedly have referred to him as former MI6. We also know that Rory Stewart's actual, his organisation in Afghanistan um, has very interesting crossover with former intelligence figures and also people who are simultaneously employed by his organization in Afghanistan, um, Turquoise Mountain, and the Saudi government at the same time. Um, so these are people with very interesting connections who did not seem to have any reservations about going publicly very, very hard at the uh, prime minister, which in almost any other circumstance, you would have the argument put against that as being, you know, this is bad for national unity, you're detracting from the fight against COVID, you're detracting from this, but there was absolutely no reservation of that sort. What's your um, feeling about the move against uh, Boris Johnson? Well, I mean, yes, I mean, it, it, it's it's a miraculous turnaround, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago that we were being uh, blasted with relentless pro-Boris propaganda and, you know, kind of uh, elevating him to almost kind of godlike figure who was in control of everything and was going to rescue us all from all of, you know, from, from COVID, from the war in Ukraine and all these other issues. I mean, I think that he's for a very long time been, been disliked, probably since long before he, he became into office, he's been disliked by the, uh, by the, by the intelligence services. I mean, he referred to a drip drip. Um, I mean, one of the things I find quite interesting is that Byline Times, which is a, an, an outlet which does seem to reflect the you know security services line in most matters, they were publishing you know, throughout 2020 um, you know investigations on corruption, which you know subsequently you know drip 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 became you know the focus of media attention on Boris Johnson's government. Um, they were talking up his Russia links, which seemed rather you know rather thin actually. Um, at, at, you know, as a national security threat for a very long time and seemed to have been you know had access to a fa fairly steady flow of of leaks such as um uh, communications between johnson and um uh let the, the lever devs um so yeah i mean i i mean maybe in the spirit of trump it's purely because he is an unknown quantity and easily blackmailable that they're not they're not particularly fond of him i mean in, in what's really interesting is in some of the leaked emails that i've reported on it's very clear that the cabal led by dear love they don't want the established agencies knowing what they're doing so there's uh they managed to get boris's boris johnson's number and they're talking about whether to whether to send him a signal message because he happens to be on signal and then um dear loves dear love advises against it because the his phones will have been frisked frisked upon coming into office by gchq and backdoor so i mean yes clearly they didn't want the intelligence services knowing what they were doing um yeah it it it, it, it 
it, it really wouldn't surprise if surprise me if this effectively represents some kind of intelligence coup um, against him. I mean, I'm, I don't shed any tears for his departure. I mean, we haven't yet reported on them, but we have. Uh, we're in at Grey Zone. We're in possession of emails where Paul Mason, who will no doubt get into, um, he uh, is discussing with his British intelligence contact, or you know, perhaps even handler, uh, this individual called Andy Price, who was in you know in charge of running the Integrity Initiative, which smeared. Jeremy Corbyn, um, you know, quite infamously, uh, and served to, you know, pu uh, pump out ceaseless black propaganda against enemies of the state like Julian Assange and, you know, enemy governments like China and Russia. That the, the um, price sends him through a, a bunch of proposed kind of campaigning and talking points right around the time that Mason announces that he's going to be running for parliament. And he specifically, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's part of party political activity, which is, you know, a, against the civil service code and for which he, you know, would lose his job if rules were actually enforced, which they're not. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about how, well, you know, the Conservatives are, they're, they're very like the Russians. They engage in, you know, five-dimensional chess and they are, uh, you know, they, they, they are bursting with this info. You can't trust them. And and uh, and advising Mason to go big on the cost of living crisis. And then Mason's, uh, he, um, he was trying to stand in a seat in Manchester and that didn't work out particularly well for him, although I gather he's now running in my, uh, my native Camberwell and Peckham. Um, you, uh, you know, from my cold dead hands, but the um, that he, uh, yeah, that the the the, 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 the he in, in his um, uh, campaign launch, he he published a manifesto in which he seems to reiterate many of these talking points. So it very much seems that the intelligence services have their knives out for Johnson, and you know, one might speculate that his ultimately that his his sole purpose from the perspective of power was to ensure that that Jeremy Corbyn didn't. Um, get anywhere near Downing Street, you know. I mean, the I, I remember the December 2019 election very well, um, even if it does feel like a you know a lifetime ago. I mean, they, you know that very much felt like kind of the death knell of hope and promise in politics. And I've you know that that kind of analysis and forecast, I've, uh, nothing has occurred since then to give me much in the way of hope. Although you know the the prospect of mass strikes in Britain is is you know certainly appealing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean from the cabal's point of view, like I said, the, you know they 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 got sick of him when they didn't get what they wanted, so they started looking elsewhere. And I think that again, this is a key demonstration of how power actually works there are these cadres of of unelected largely unheard of individuals who wield an enormous amount of of influence over the political process and what you see in public is effectively the shat the you know the the shadow that their actions cast on the outside world absolutely and what is depicted to us as a sort of healthy political culture in many cases seems to be this sort of silent and invisible civil war going on between different mm. competing interests, sometimes within even the same agencies. Now, I understand that it was quite a while ago, and, and don't worry if this is not something that you're sort of comfortable getting into too deeply, we don't have to include it in the interview, but the uh, work you did on the activity of Christians United for Israel and the Zionist Federation in designating Hamas. Could you tell us a little bit about that particular piece that you published? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, um, Kufi, as I shall, um, I, I don't like saying their full name, it makes you feel sick. But the, uh, but yeah, the, they, in essence, you know, they are one of the most influential Zionist lobbies in the world. Um, they have, you know, a, a direct line to lawmakers in the US and the UK. They have vast amounts of, you know, subscribers, supporters, mem- you know, members, uh, you know, ac- across the world who can be mobilized to influence policy. And, you know, in the, the I mean, it's funny as well because the, it, they, they, maybe they lack self awareness, but it, it, I mean, I got hold of some of their, um, their emails to their to their to their membership and they openly boast about how they corralled um their supporters to pressure the government to uh yes to prescribe hamas so it gave the impression of this grassroots campaign but they're very openly talking about how well you know we um we all colluded and conspired and and and, and got to, and got together to do this so i mean they're quite well aware that uh you know people are you know their um their foot soldiers as it were are, are effectively automatons i mean i think that you know the the uh, I, i'm i'm sure that the foreign office and indeed the home office were very receptive um uh, audiences for that kind of lo- kind of you know uh, astroturf lobbying i mean yes the the home office is occupied by um Piri patel uh, who you know was <laughs> had to resign uh, several years ago because she repeatedly lied about trips to, you know uh, pay, fully paid trips to israel that that were um organized and funded by you know a major israel lobbyist um, you know, it, 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 the, the Foreign Office has for a very long time been, you know, quite heavily dominated by uh, the Conservative Friends of Israel. Um, Alan Duncan, you know, talks at length in his, I mean, in this amazing revealing quite how it got past the censors, I don't know, but in his diaries, uh, which are probably written after the fact, uh, he openly talks about how, you know, because of his, one of his, you know, few very, you know, kind of soul redeeming features was that he was uh, very pro-Palestinian and, you know, spoke out um, in favor of the Palestinians in parliament and condemned Israeli atrocities. He was up for a particular role in the foreign office. And then when conservative friends of Israel and a number of other kind of you know, Zionist front slash lobbying groups caught wind of this, suddenly, you know, calls were made, um, tweets were posted, uh, <laughs> emails were fired off, demanding that, um, that that Boris Johnson, the then foreign secretary, not give him a very, you know, a, a specific job, I believe it was a minister for the Americas. Um, and because obviously, you know, d- given uh, Israel's very close relationship, um, well, if not calentious relationship, with the US, um, that some minister in that uh, capacity might have, you know, some wrecking ability from Tel, Tel Aviv's perspective, and so yeah, that the I mean, it was you know after after many promises, he was you know denied this role. He concludes by saying, you know, that the Conservative Friends of Israel think that they run the Foreign Office, and they do, you know, dot dot dot. I mean, I don't think they're that omnipotent, but he's probably not far off. Yeah, and that somebody of the prominent role in British political life, like Alan Duncan, could make such a statement and that it goes basically unremarked upon within mainstream British media, of course, articulates so much about where we are today. Well, Kit, thank you so much for a brilliant interview. I really appreciate it, and I hope that we can have you back on The Watchdog again soon thank you very much for joining it's us also to the audience and we hope that you can support our work on telegram 
that you can also check out the website for the latest articles and investigations that we have. Thank you so much for joining us.